All right, so I'm I am recording, and okay. let's see, where should we begin? I think that this, this first of all, this recording, I'm assuming is going to be listened to by readers of Metapsychosis, and sure. so um, some of them may already be familiar with you, Bridget, because you've been a contributor to the journal since 2016, almost mm -hmm. since the beginning and an editor since 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've been working together for the last few years. Um, and more recently, you've launched a podcast and more than a podcast, a ensemble or a, a, a series, a collection of projects that are yes. all related around uh, the concept of Chthonia. Mm -hmm. And so that's a intriguing uh, word. Uh, just knowing a little bit of the etymology, I, I, I know it has to do with the earth, what's underneath the earth, uh, and the mythology, the beings, the forces, the um, energies that are related with uh, or identified with that realm. Uh, and, uh, and so you're exploring that and you're associating that with another concept uh, or a couple of concepts, the dark feminine. Mm -hmm. And so um, each of the episodes you've been posting on Metapsychosis every couple of weeks goes into one uh, character or one figure. Or, um, I don't or know what you figures, yeah. one mm -hmm. set of figures. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't know everything that you have in mind for, for the future. But uh, I've been listening to the episodes and learning. I'm mainly a student of mythology, mm -hmm. uh, and and I and also not just as a scholarly discipline, uh, I think you have some way of connecting this study of the dark feminine and of uh, the spirit realm and of our myth, our mythopoetic and mythological past with the present in some way. I think that there's some connections yes. you may be making there as well. And you've certainly written about those in some of the pieces on metapsychosis. I think the very first one uh, was about uh, the feminine as a yeah. kind of global force uh, of in, in, yeah, which I'll let you speak about uh, further. But um, what's your concept of Chthonia and, um, and how does that, and the dark feminine, what, what's that about for you? Well, Chthonia, uh, like you said, has to do with, um, with the earth and what's under the earth. It's a Greek word, Chthonios, okay? And um, when I use Chthonia, now Chthonia is an actual figure in um, Greek mythology, um, not a very well-known one. She's sort of the daughter of one of the kings of Athens and she's, um, you know, uh, he, he's told by an oracle to sacrifice her to have, you know, a favorable outcome in war and to then her sisters commit suicide in solidarity. It's a, it's a happy story. Um, but it's, uh, but Chthonia as a concept is more of the, um, it's the, it's the feminized version of the underworld. So, um, when I talk about Chthonia, I'm, I'm specifically talking about the feminine aspect. Um, and yeah, you're right. When I had um, my, one of my first articles for Metapsychosis has to do with sort of this global feminine. And that's, that's, that's kind of a theme for me. I, um, because what I've, what I've sort of um, come across in, in a lot of my research, uh, I did uh, my doctoral research. Um, I have a book coming out um, based on that probably this fall, um, is that the when when one interestingly when one in religious in religion when ancient religion became modern religion okay and one of the things that we get is we get the idea of salvation 
Mm -hmm. Okay, you have this idea. And you also have this idea of punishment after death, which, which some people would be surprised to learn is not actually an original concept to the ancient Greeks. Actually, to a lot of the ancient cultures, it's just you're dead. It's not great. And, you know, that's how it is. You end up in the underworld and you're punished there. Yeah, well, or you're not even punished. You're just there. You know, it's just, and it, and it, and it sucks because you're not alive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of where, what that is. And um, the only people who are punished are those who do something really, really awful. Like, you know, I think you only hear like seven individuals mentioned in Greek mythology who are actually punished, okay? And, um, you know, like uh, Tantalus and um, uh, Ixion and, you know, some of these ones who have committed offenses against the gods that are really terrible. Otherwise, you know, it's just like, yeah, you're dead. You're, you're like a less energized version of kind of what you were, sort of. You're more like a shadow of what you were. And the shadows all just kind of filter around in this gloomy place. Um, the Babylonians kind of saw it as a, uh, like a dusty place. Like they only, everybody kind of had bird wings and it was very dusty. It was, it was kind of a strange idea. You know, I guess they associate the desert and the West kind of with, with that. And also what's under the earth. Mm -hmm. So what I sort of, what I've discovered is that um, once you get to Plato, okay, and Plato and, and the philosophers and they start, first of all, they start rationalizing religion. They start rationalizing the behavior of the gods. Okay, they start saying, you know, you know, Zeus cheats on his wife, that's a terrible thing to do. You know, I mean, they start, I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, from a human ethical standpoint, some of the things they do are pretty terrible. But I like to remind people, I'm like, but they're gods, they're not humans, and they don't follow the same rules. And that's the way the, that, that's one of the big differences, is that the ancients don't see it the same way. Um, they saw it as um, these are forces, and it's like ancestor worship. You make, and I think I talk about this in the intro, you make a pact. Okay, you make a pact with something, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, I'll give you some nice things, I'll make some offerings to you, and hopefully you'll do something nice for me. Uh, the whole Greek idea of hospitality or xenia kind of comes out of the idea of if I welcome you into my house and give you gifts, maybe when I'm in your country as a foreigner, you'll welcome me into your house and give me gifts, you know. Mm -hmm. so, so it's the same kind of a concept. When you get away from that and when you start talking about being saved from death, or being saved originally with the Orphix. We're gonna to go to the nicer part of the underworld, you know, and we're gonna, we have all the special formulae. They steal that from the Egyptians because the Egyptians are very much um, about, interestingly, we, we think of Egypt, Egyptian um, afterlife as being sort of um, more, more about judgment because we talk about the, say, the heart being weighed against a feather and where you're going to end up. But really what it comes down to, especially for royalty was how well did you say the formulae? All those formulae written on your tomb, how well did you memorize though and say, oh yeah, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. It wasn't a judgment on the soul or the ethical you know, quality, how well the soul comported itself during, during this, this life. Is right, exactly. And it wasn't so much about that, it was more about how well you could recite your lines. Mm -hmm. um, and the Orphics were the same way. When you died, it was just you sort of like you had your little passwords of what to do as you encountered certain underworld figures so that you didn't end up in the gloomy part or you didn't end up drinking from the river of forgetfulness you could go somewhere else okay so once you start talking in those terms you start to see a shift in thinking about the afterlife and just to sum it up because i could go on for hours mm -hmm. um, is that basically everything gets moved to the sky okay mm -hmm. get moved to the sky and materiality like with plato with the density you know as, as opposed to the the light airiness of the soul once we start talking in those terms, everything associated with the earth becomes uh, demonized. It becomes, and the, earth, and the earth and what's under it becomes a place of punishment, okay? Now, the earth now, granted there are exceptions in other world mythologies, but the earth is, tends to be mother earth. We tend to associate the earth with the feminine. Um, 
uh, in psychoanalysis, um, Jung and his successors would say it has to do with the unconscious. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you have this, this kind of whole realm that before was just kind of was what it was. Now it's become something evil. It's become a place of punishment. It's become the realm of the demonic. And my whole point, my whole purpose in kind of, I'm focusing on the feminine. I could focus on other things too. You could do this with race. You could do this with a lot of different things um, that are treated as kind of other or treated as dark or treated as, um, there's, there, there's a lot of ways you could go. But for me, looking at the feminine in particular is very important because our culture has a very bad relationship to the feminine, okay? Um, and when I say feminine, and, and like I think I was talking about in that article, I'm not talking about like what women do versus what men do. Uh, all men and women have masculine and feminine, okay? Men have feminine traits, women have masculine traits. It's just, it's not, you know, we just sort of characterize them. I like to think of it like yin and yang, right? right? Right, because yin and yang, you know, because you know, yin is passive, it's receptive, it's water, it's the moon, it's you know. Um, right, we, there's some terminological issues. I mean, uh, just in discussions about sex, gender, mm -hmm. uh, like male, female have a biological connotation, and you know, there are there's chrom you know chromosomal differences that define what a male is and what a female is. Masculine and feminine tend to refer to gender and the expression of characteristics. But part of what you're saying is that is that that could be fluid, that could be mixed, that could be hybrid. There's different balances or ratios that people, males or females, express. And so, but even more than that, that it seems, tell me this is where you're going, that mm -hmm. it's not just something in humans, but more of a principle in the cosmos uh, or it's, in nature. It's, a, it's an archetype. Mm -hmm. I mean, and archetypes are, for lack, I mean, they're, they're, sort of images of, of ideas that present themselves in different ways. Yeah, mm -hmm. in our culture, uh, maybe in the cosmos. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of this, um, and, and it's kind of an association we have with certain types of things. Um, and we don't necessarily, but we don't necessarily think about it consciously. So for example, I would say that we're a very yang heavy masculine culture. And the reason I say that is because we're very based on scientific reasoning. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. rationality, individuality, um, logic, all of mm -hmm. these things, which are very, you know, a rule-based kind of thinking. Um, it's spatial thinking, you could say, um, which is, a, which is, becomes it becomes um, possible when you have a sky, when you have an open space, because right. underground, you can't figure out what's what. There's roots going in every direction, you know, fungi are going everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening underground that is opaque. So it's dark, right? Yes. And then when you get that split, when you get mm -hmm. that split from the dark underground and the dark underworld and the light bright overground, right? The area of, of the soul and, and the sky, you get this kind of mental, body split too and a masculine feminine split i mean that's what i'm kind of seeing is is what you're you're saying uh, and then they get de and then one gets valorized and the other gets demonized and so that's why the feminine becomes equated with the dark becomes equated with like the bad or the evil is right that that's that's yeah that's pretty much yes that's kind of where that goes um i mean the feminine also if you think about the earth it's also kind of like a womb it's enclosed it's a container, it's a, it's a closed space. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, yeah, as you say, the other is more open and more fluid. You know, and again, we, we tend to associate um, intellect, civilization, things with the light. 
okay, mm -hmm. and, and with the light being uh, shined on something, because uh, in the darkness, you, you can't see, you don't know. You have to rely on senses other than perhaps your sight or perhaps your thought, which mm -hmm. is where intuition, emotion, all these other things come in. Yeah. And um, yeah, so when I focus on the dark feminine in particular, because um, one of the things that I just find very curious is the way in which we are either um, dismissive of that in our culture, like, you know, somebody who's too emotional or too, you know, um, you know, oh, some idiot who thinks with their gut, you know, I mean, you know, we, we don't, we don't respect that, um, you know, in general, um, even, and, and, and it doesn't seem to be respected, um, it, there are exceptions, but in mainstream, like, monotheistic religion, it's not really accepted either. That's where religion and science have something in common. They both, mm -hmm. They're both kind of rationalistic, rule-based. Mm -hmm. and, and our thinking is geared that way. So when we have these other things, we don't trust them. We don't think about them. And to go further with the dark feminine, the dark feminine is also something scary because it has to do with the force. Because we think of the feminine as a creative force, you know, creating children and so forth. But it's also a devouring force. You know, mm -hmm. the earth, you know, you know to dust, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. The earth swallows you up too. And also when you think about the idea of the collective, if you've gone out of your way to assert your authenticity and your originality, you don't want something swallowing you up into a, a massive, indistinguishable mass. Right. You know I mean? mm -hmm. so, that, so then, so it becomes, to me, it becomes kind of worth looking at. I think of it as a meta-narrative, okay? It becomes worth looking at our attitudes towards the feminine and how do they, how do we unconsciously project them onto everything else. Uh, the mythologies kind of explain the way in which we do that. That's why we have these weird stories, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and those weird stories are not meant to be like, you know, they're, they're not necessarily meant to be didactic or moral. They're kind of meant to kind of convey what seems to be a truth about human thinking and human behavior. Mm -hmm. um, One of the things I noticed listening to the podcast it's just how messy it is actually like there's a lot num multiple different inter interpretations sure. of a given story stories that exist only in fragments uh, mm -hmm. stories that seem to be hybrids or blends from more original pri prior stories from different cultures that get mixed together uh name you know translation issues i mean it gets the field is like you can go on forever. I see. Like, you really could. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And, and what, that's the thing. One of the first things I teach in my myth class is just sort of, you know, we, we always see things like Bullfinch's mythology or yeah, the Edith Hamilton's. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't so nice and neat. I mean, people have sort of compiled those things over the years. Um, Ovid's probably the neatest compilation along with the uh, Iliad mm. and me and the Odyssey and things like that. There's very little... Um, mythology that's in one complete place. When you, when you really start to study the originals, they're all in fragments and they've been mm -hmm. found in different places at different times. Mm -hmm. So the chthonic, mm -hmm. we could say, has masculine and feminine forces, elements, or you know, char uh, ca characters. Uh, in certain cultures, like in Greek culture, it has both, right? It has Hades and has Persephone. Persephone. Who's the subject uh, of the next podcast? Right. Uh, <laughs> and um, but if you look at other cultures, there's a mix of them. Uh, so in, in Egypt, there's a male uh, uh, under, ruler of the underworld. Or, um, yeah, right? there's, well, there's a male earth god, Geb. Mm -hmm. Geb, that's it, Geb. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, what, it seems like something happens, right? Somewhere in history where the way that we relate to these realms or what the myths are 
telling us about, like the, what the myths are projecting for the human mind, where our relationship from that goes from one where there's, um, how do I put this, kind of a fluidity between the realms and between mm-hmm. the, the, the levels and, and the soul moves between them. And there isn't quite an overarching order to it all. Uh, uh, let, me, let me hold, wait, wait where I'm going. Okay. But, that, but, but, but that at a certain point, it kind of splits apart and you get these rational and these kind of totalizing orders that kind of systematically put the feminine and the earth at the center and make the center, like the further into the center you go, the worse it is. Mm-hmm. Like that's where hell is. That's where all the scary, dark, demonic stuff is. Mm-hmm. And then outwards in the sky and towards you know, the sunlight, that's where you get the divine and the, the, the reason, the reasonable, the ordered, the rational, etc. And, and a kind of ethical order gets built up. Uh, yes. And, and that ha- takes multiple expressions in Christianity and Islam and Judaism, etc. And from there we get, we get science and technology. And now we're in the modern world and we still have this, this split, but there's also, I mean, there's also a kind of, uh, it, it's, it's not over yet. <laughs> like there's a kind of um, comeback, a resurgence of, like you can't control. I think this is one of the lessons if, is you can't control the chthonic forces. Like they will erupt out. And so there has to be a different kind of way of um, relating between the levels. Maybe you can say what you, what you have in well, mind there. It's interesting. It's interesting you bring that point, that particular point up, because yeah, the chthonic forces, they're chaotic. Okay. They are the forces of chaos. If you want to think of them in Greek as the Titan forces, um, they're not the, they are not the forces of order. Most of, uh, a lot of creation mythology, at least part of it, is about um, making order out of chaos. Okay. So, and, and really, um, as you know, one of my theories is um, I think that our our relationship to death or our fear our fear about death and about change in general kind of tends to relate to our attitudes towards this as well. Um, because, you know, yeah, because we don't contend well as a species with the unknown. You know, um, Alan Watts once said, he said that, you know, um, science kind of overtook religion because it had a much better predictive value. You know, it's much better when you can be, you know, run certain tests and models and be able to predict like, say that it's going to storm today, you know, like what mm-hmm. the weather is. Um, you know, we, we like things that are predictive, that, that follow a pattern, that give cause and effect, that have a nice order to them to say, okay, if I do X, then Y will happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of how we are. So we don't deal well with chaos and the forces of chaos. And what sort of, what, what kind of happened with those forces is rather than accepting them as the unpredictable kind of capricious energies that they are, neither evil nor good. See, that's another problem. You have the good evil split. Um, they sort of, yeah, they sort of become associated with what's demonic because they have to deal with what's uncomfortable, what's unknown, and uh, what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And um, see, now my take on the demonic, for, well, it comes from the uh, Greek word daemon, okay? And that, I mean, Socrates talks about having a daemon. Mm-hmm. A daemon is really, a, originally, is an intermediary spirit. It's a spirit that... Um, uh, it's like it's like it's like as a messenger between the mortal and the divine. Okay, so if the gods wanted to send a message, it would be through a daemon. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it became more like demon in the sense that we think of it now. Again, as you might expect, after we the West sort of became Christianized. Mm-hmm. But along the way, it also became like a genius too, right? Like in Roman 
mythology. In, in Rome, it was referred to as the genius or the, or the, or the genius. The, the, um, and, and there was a genius not only for the individual and for the household, but also for like, you know, there's the um, um, genius uh, Romani, you know, there's the one of, uh, or genii, genii Romani, the, the, the spirit of the, of the whole city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's still, um, Rome's actually a very, gosh, they were a very um, uh, animistic culture, I guess you would say. They were very much into spirits. They, they picked up a lot from the, they borrowed a lot from the Greeks um, mm -hmm. with their mythology, but they didn't originally have one. They were very spirit oriented, kind of like the Slavs are. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, yeah, so it's just the idea. So you go from this kind of idea of spirits to this idea of an intelligence that is good, that is kind of running the show and then anything that's not that must be something evil. We get this kind of from Zoroastrian thinking too. That's, that's the first time you see the cosmic battle between good and evil. And mm -hmm. that also gets, comes into play with all of this. Right. Um, it's, 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 it's a complicated subject. Yeah. I mean, we've opened can of worms here. Several uh, cans of worms. <laughs> right. Uh, wait, well, how can we bring it back to focus then? Um, so, like, what is the path you're taking, like, in these episodes? You've done six, and, like, specifically, you did the first one on the mother goddess. Mm -hmm. Then you did the second one on Inanna, uh, Ishtar. And, uh, yeah. Ereshkigal, that was Ishtar's sister, right? Yeah, uh, yes. Okay. Or Inanna's sister, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Lilith. Lilith. And then Nightmares and, the, and Night Hag Syndrome. And then the, this is the one you've had trouble pronouncing too, the Erinias, er, the Erinias, mm -hmm. or Furies. Yeah. And then Medusa, which I remember from the, my childhood nightmares involving Medusa <laughs> from watching- uh... you're, you're not alone apparently, <laughs> you're a psychiatrist, so yeah. <laughs> Whether you have studied Medusa or not. Um, yeah, so, um, so I, I know you, you I did, what I didn't mention at the beginning, which I should have, is that you're also a professor of mythology, PhD, so you know you really bring a lot of scholarly uh, depth uh, to these topics, and uh, you you, know, you you seem to have a, a whole bunch of topics lined up, and I wonder kind of what's your you know what what's your arc or what's the what are the connections you're trying to what's make the between these different here. yeah the trajectory and and like what what you know what are connect, what's the meta story you're trying to tell. If that makes sense. Well, it's, um, I, I think the way that the podcast started was, at least in terms of choice of episodes, um, is I was starting to kind of start with the most basic thing, the mother, the mother goddess. Um, and then I was kind of trying to branch out from there a little bit, but I was kind of trying to start geographically. So starting really in the Near East, so that's why you have Inanna, Ishtar, Eresh Kagal. And then kind of looking at sort of Greek mythology. But I find that as I was writing episodes and going along, that I, I, would, I would do something for a particular episode. For example, okay, so we do Lilith. Now Lilith is from the, the Hebrew um, uh, culture, folklore, not really, maybe just mentioned in the Bible one place. But um, it, it's really kind of a, of a Jewish thing. And then as, as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, yeah, Lilith is considered to be one of those like succubi, one of those ones that climbs on you at night. I was like, oh, you know what? It might be good to talk about that. So then of course we end up doing a whole episode on the nightmare and the night hag because that's connected to Lilith mm -hmm. and other creatures like Lilith. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, and we connected of course with the modern phenomenon of sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so then from there it was sort of like, okay, let's try to sort of round out the sort of Greek underworld Greek and Roman. Um, but what's going to happen in the future, uh, like I said, I'm doing Persephone. I'm probably going to cover Hecate, um, who's the other goddess. And then I kind of want to start making a turn 
Uh, for October, I want to get into um, the goddesses who are more witchy or the folklore figures who are witchier, like Baba Yaga. Okay. Uh, I actually, actually, I have a couple of, mo uh, unless something changes at the last minute, I should have a couple of interviews coming up. So then we, I will start doing some podcasts that are not just me talking. Mm -hmm. um, my friend Joanna, who's another scholar, she's a scholar of, um, uh, she, I mean, she's a classical mythology, but, she's, but she knows Polish and Slavic mythology very well. We're going to do Baba Yaga together. And um, April Shaley, who also runs April's Arcana, uh, which is, she's a, uh, you know, she's a dancer, she's a writer, astrologer, magician. She does a lot of stuff. Uh, her, I, I follow her site, which is, uh, she puts out the Newt Report every week. Uh, she and I are going to actually have a conversation about the Morrigan. I'm going to Ireland at the end of September, and so she and I are going to try to do it in person at one of the Morrigan sites. And you're also writing uh, fiction about the Morrigan, right? Yes. Now, the Morrigan, I, I'll tell you about that. Um, the Morrigan, I, okay, maybe I should back up a little bit because mm -hmm. we talked about some things. And so the question becomes one of inspiration. And I have been, I mean, religiously, I've been all over the map my entire life. I mean, it's hard to know exactly what I identify with at this point. Um, you know, specifically, I tend to think of myself as sort of somewhere between Thelema, Crowley's thing, and Hinduism. Like, I'm somewhere, somewhere there. But my, my, two, main, my two main ladies, if you will, are the Morrigan and, their, and Kali. And the reason that they are is because I've had some kind of very, I don't know how to explain it, but very kind of personal experiences with both of them. Uh, the Morrigan was the earliest one. The first time I ever encountered any figure like the Morrigan was like in 1985. And that's actually the Morrigan diaries that I'm writing actually had their origins. Um, I found some of the original stories. They actually have their origins from back then. And I was what, 13 then? I mean, it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but I've kind of have this relationship with Morrigan that I have in my dreams. I've had it in my practices and so forth. It, a little, it's, it's hard to explain. It's kind of a lot, its own thing. Mm -hmm. But Kali as well, when I first got divorced, um, I had, um, that's when uh, Mata Amrita Mai became my guru and she was, um, she sort of identified as an embodiment of Kali. And I started doing Kali puja and ritual. And then I started to have this very, very intense relationship with Kali as well, where, you know, where these are the goddesses who, when you, when you um, get into a rapport with these goddesses, it's like you could be walking down the street and you hear them yell at you in your ear. You know, it's really, it's a strange kind of a thing. But I have been like, for example, walking through New York City and hear, hey, you know, come over here. And I turn around and there's a Kali temple right nearby. I'm like, ooh, okay, she's right there. It's, it's intense. It's, it's, it's an intense energy. Mm. And that energy, I, I connect that with like the real life force energy, the Shakti energy, and, and Morrigan too. Um, Morrigan, um, there's, uh, you know, there's some people who say, you know, don't play around with her energy too much because it's very powerful, like war goddess energy. It's scary. It was like where uh, there's one story of Vikings who like hear her voice in the middle of the night and half of them drop dead from fright, you know, and these are big, like scary guys. But again, it's that said, there seems to be a whole thing about Morrigan and people being drawn in by Morrigan. Like, like I'm not the only person. I, mm -hmm. I hear about a lot of people who feel like they're called by Morrigan. Okay. So I don't know. That's, that's me. That's my personal beliefs, but that's where the inspiration comes from. And I've had so many dreams about Morrigan and about these sort of different narratives, how they cross over with my own thoughts and so forth. I couldn't separate them for you exactly because they're not yeah. about me. Yeah. But at the same time, I can identify with some of what goes on in there, like in terms of feelings and so forth. So anyway, I've, but they, the story has gotten to be so big that I, that's kind of, that kind of comes to me from this. 
it's it's almost like um it's growing in you yeah like my i i realized i asked i although i didn't use the word you suggested it but it was the word that i was refraining from using i was asking for a trajectory and that's a very spatial kind of technological like masculine like concept even to put on it (laughs) so um uh, it's it's not planned out quite to that degree yeah exactly mm-hmm. like yeah. i mean I, I saw how you went from lilith to then the night hack and actually that was interesting for me because it brought to memory an experience i had as a child and it i don't think it, it didn't involve specifically a, a feminine force or, or energy but it was a night terror kind of experience where i became convinced that there was a presence in my bedroom who meant me harm okay. and that if that presence saw me, perceived me, that something terrible would happen. And, and I was frozen. Like I, I, conv- I convinced myself to, you know, to, 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 into terror. Like I, and, and to this day, like I hadn't thought about it in years, but it was like, if I were to start thinking as I did, you know, after listening to your ep- episode, um, I could start to describe like the qualities and like what the energy was like and what uh, I could really go into it because it was really intense. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, what the connection for me was that, wow, people have been having experiences like that all the time. And then, but they've been having experiences of the same objects. Like I, it'd be interesting if I started describing my, my experience, whether it would be similar to that that others had described, whether there was already a mythology, for example, around mm-hmm. this this being, if I started actually opening up that can of worms in my psyche, you know? And and so, you know, what you find is that uh, there are similar stories and even similar beings, like similar goddesses or gods that mm-hmm. appear sure. to people in distinct places. So, um, you know, what's that what's going like that. I mean, that's to me very, that's very interesting. And uh, anyway, you were going somewhere with that. I just interrupted you. No, no, uh, that's but, fine. I mean, it's no, and that's, that's interesting because yeah, because a lot of people seem to have, and I actually heard from some people after the episode about their own night terror experiences. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what yours, what you're, what you're describing sounds a little bit more like what people sometimes call a shadow person thing. Cause shadow it's, person. it's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, it's not like a particular, like it's not the night hag. Okay. But, but it has those kind of qualities. Mm-hmm. And of just kind of like this, this, this shapeless something that you know is there, and um, yeah, and and then there's then there's the question of what's in mythology, what's in folklore, what's in urban legend, so forth. Um, but any, but anyway, just where I was going with it was um, with this whole thing is yeah, it's not so much I'm kind of working my way around the world in terms of these feminine figures, but there's no. Um, but and a lot, and some of it is just a matter of as, as certain opportunities arise. You know, if I meet certain people and I'm like, "Oh wow, you're you're an expert on this. Can we talk about this?" Mm-hmm. So that's also determining the trajectory to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of what where the opportunities are, um, and trying to plan things out. I would like to have a whole series just on Kali and what they call the Matrikas, the uh, or the the Mahavidyas, the um, the dark mothers of India and of, of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I but I kind of want to do them together. You know, so there's there is kind of a a theme, but it's not necessarily a tight program because these things don't follow a tight program. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you more about like how you, 
like how do you think about the translation from the mythological world and you know the world of mythological beings which i mean we have to talk more about this too because like there's the academic side of it right but then there's the, the experiential side of it like when you say you feel talked called by kali spoken to when you say kali you're not talking about a pretend being like that you're you're talking about a, a real being yes and so but from an as an academic you t- you wouldn't speak about that being as a real being you would speak about it in sort of historicized terms and right. somewhat distanced the- theoretical terms so i find it like it, so one it's interesting like to to have both those sides going on uh, you know at once and weaving them together because they're not they don't have to be exclusive like i think no. you could look at something with historical and academic and scholarly you know tools and at the same time like be in resonance with the reality behind the you know the words right mm-hmm. um but then there's also the translation to like what's like the contemporary discourse like what's going on in the world now like what are we seeing in terms of like the you know this the struggle between masculine and feminine uh like you know since the the last election there's been a wave of um some kind of reckoning right Mm -hmm. between you know from women and expressing you know the i i not not you know not not just the let's say the pretty sides or the conventional pretty sides but the the rage and the the vengeance and some of the same you know a lot of the same qualities the dark stuff a lot of the same qualities that you see in the mythological figure so i'm curious about like the translation between those worlds like for you because you have kind of a foot or you know in in each of them oh yeah and that's that's i'm glad you bring that up because yeah that's that's um that's why another reason i think this is terribly relevant right now because yeah it's that um this kind of this kind of reckoning that's happening with women in particular this is where I think, um, like we were just talking about masculine and feminine as gender roles. Um, I think this is kind of where it separates off a bit from the archetypal because, um, because yeah, that's what's being challenged. You know, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I get married, I have children, I have, I mean, it could, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Or if you're a boy, that doesn't mean you can't play with baby dolls or you can't wear nail polish or you can't, you know, it goes both ways. I mean, there's, there's toxic masculinity, that's one side of it. You know, and, and that, that tends to translate it as men who are, you know, um, shamed from, say, expressing emotion or having feelings or crying or doing certain things. Um, and, and, and on the other hand, the way that certain things about women are just taken for granted by people uh, and women speaking about those experiences and going, yeah, you know what, we don't really like that. You know, you kind of do that. We don't really like that. Um, and, and, you know, and again, it ranges from, we don't like that to, I want to kill somebody over it. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a wide range, but a lot of that, um, but there's what, what clearly comes out of that is kind of a misunderstanding between sides. People were still men going, well, I don't know, maybe I should never talk to women again. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's like, no, that's not really the point. Um, the point is, is that, you know, that we, we tend to, that's 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 the narrative you're presuming that there's there's kind of there's a biological difference okay and you're presuming that there's also automatically a gender role difference and by the way it's not just men enforcing it with women women enforce it with other women too mm-hmm. and women enforce it with men it's not it's not just again it's not just about how men treat women and that sort mm-hmm. of thing 
Um, and yeah, and that's why I think the dark feminine is important because the dark feminine is that, that devouring and potentially emasculating um, kind of uh, energy. At least that's the way it's associated. You have these goddesses who are, you know, you have goddesses like Kali who are standing there with their swords gonna whack your head off, you know? It's, um, and that, and what that represents is very, very frightening to people. It's, I've gone to Hindu temples and people go, yeah, why, why, you know, I mean, sometimes they're Bengalis and they understand Kali worship, but they'll be like, yeah, why, why do you worship Kali? Like, you know, it like freaks people. It's like, you know, that's in a very intense energy. Why are you getting involved in that? And, and that intense energy, that's what I think, there's a fear there of that. I mean, people may not put that fear in mythological terms. They may not say, oh, I'm afraid of Kali, for example. But the way that that plays out in the world, the way that that very strong energy, it's kind of like um, an electrical current without like some kind of protective shield or something. You know, it has the potential to be dangerous, like a fire. I mean, it can do one, it can do good things and it can also, um, it can also destroy things. You know, fire can cook your food and it can burn your house down, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that, that sort of, cause I, I, I kind of, Oh goodness, we're having a thing. Hang on a second here. Let me just turn this off so this stops. Yeah, shut, shut up, thank you. Okay, anyway, sorry, flash flood warnings. Um, so uh, that's why I'm glad I'm here. But it's, yeah, it, it's not um, very, um, that, that dark feminine is, um, it, it tends to represent, I, I tend to think of it in terms of Shakti, okay? And, um, and that, that, is, that is the pure life force that you want to be careful with. You know, people who practice kundalini yoga and things, you know, you have to be very careful that you don't screw yourself up mentally, physically, or otherwise playing around with that energy. So it's energy that has to be, it's careful. It's similar to the demonic in the sense that, um, I think the way it was described by Lon Milo Duquette once was he said, it's kind of like dealing with um, moving equipment, you know, like caterpillars and bulldo- things and bulldozers. If you know how to drive one, it's okay. If you don't, you're probably going to destroy a lot of stuff, you know? So it's stuff, it's energy that you can work with and should try to understand, okay? Um, And at the same time, it's, um, but by the same time, you have to be very, very careful because, you know, it it, it can be very destructive energy. But this is kind of like a first step towards saying, okay, let's let's just not assume this is evil energy. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. What, What is this? What does it mean? And if you assume it's evil, what does that mean you're assuming about people who, you know, may reflect that kind of energy for you? You know what I mean? They're not necessarily evil people. They just may be people, you know, who, like women, for example, who are very independent. You know, some people are very threatened by that. You shouldn't, you know, be that way or you shouldn't. Um, there's a certain way that women are supposed to behave and act and, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's threatening to people. You know, it's, it, that's how it can translate kind of into the social sphere. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think what's, it, that this is one of the good things that's going on right now is people are challenging those assumptions. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. You know, why is it that as a man, you, you are supposed to do certain things and as a woman, I'm supposed to do certain, why not? Why can't you do the same things I do and vice versa? Right. Yeah, but there's a little more to it than that. I mean, the people do horrible things to each other, right? And, well, yeah, but and, the, and even the gods do horrible things to each other. So like there's this, uh, kind of history of trauma that gets, you know, passed from generation to generation, gets um, repressed or suppressed or oppressed, uh, and then that's that's see, that's what I think gets pent up and then becomes this, these explosive psychic energies mm-hmm. that, you know, in the mythological dramas you see you see them played out in 
yes. uh, really graphic terms and uh, really, um, in some ways, like aesthetically really exciting terms, right? Like there's something just stunning about like an image of Kali with like the skulls and everything and this the blue. And, um, and at the same time, like, as I think you point out in your podcast, uh, there's a difference, like something you, one, one doesn't, one has to um, be careful about applying ethical, the same ethical categories to those energies that one would to regular human society. Right? Correct, and yes. So I think like the, the interplay between like just the reality of those forces, mm -hmm. whether it's feminine or masculine forces, because the masculine is horrible too. And, uh, well, and they, they don't have, they're, they're not both, they're both neither. They just, they just are what they are. Yeah. The, I mean, they're both powerful and, yes, yes. and, the, and they're not, I mean, we can have a whole, I think, conversation of, I think, yeah, we probably have to have a separate conversation just about the metaphysics of masculinity and femininity. And that's a um, tough one. It is. It, yeah, it, it is. Um, but the point, uh, just being that, uh, you know, so, something happens in our thinking when we start applying ethical categories to the cosmos. And yes. part of what you're saying, as I understand it, is that uh, that could be a mis application, not that those categories aren't relevant in other contexts, yes, uh, but that that would be a misapplication when thinking about these these forces or thinking about the dark feminine. So could, could you say a little bit more about that? Because I'm really interested in that particular topic. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think what, what first um, got me off on thinking about that particular topic is um, my Troy and the Trojan War students, I had assigned an article by, um, I think his name was Gregory Alice, and it was about the Iliad, and it was about um, the Iliad as a social fiction. And what uh, the, the author was talking about was he was, you know, talking about the way in which, say, Agamemnon and Achilles and these different figures did not have to, they really didn't have to work together. They were all kind of separate kings of their own areas. But it's the social fiction of the gods, as he said, that kind of made them come together. And he says, and they really just agreed on it because it was socially convenient. And it was interesting because he ended the article with, with a, a, a section that said, Look, he says, I'm, I'm a scholar of religion and I have to, I, he says, I have to admit, I don't understand Greek religion. I don't see it as a religion. It's not a religion. Like he was kind of talking about it that way. And when he said that, I'm like, yeah, you know what? There's a lot of other people who make the same mistake because they're thinking about religion in modern terms. Now, um, for me, yeah, I, I look at it, when I look at um, pagan worship, okay, ancestor worship, and then I look at ancient Greek religious practices, okay, the way that they related to those gods um, that are mythologized, um, it's, they're all the same. It's, it's the idea that you are trying to, um, you know that this force is unpredictable. You know that um, it may or may not do what you would like. You know that you, you, you know you have no control over it, so all you can do is try to appease it, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very different from modern religion where there's a good and ethical God who's always going to do the right thing, okay? Mm -hmm. The gods can change their mind at any time. And, um, and that's the unpredictability in magic as well, when you're working with certain types of beings in magic. Um, and, that's, and, and it kind of goes back to a point you raised earlier about, well, academic versus experiential. Um, and that question's been raised a number of times. Are these things real or are they just mental constructs or are they, and you know, we say the answer is probably both. Okay. 
um, you know, if you've worked with them, then that's, that's the way you would see it. But it's, um, so yeah, so with this idea of the, um, you know, basically we start, that's, that's, and that's when you start hearing people talk about the ancient Greek gods and they say, well, they're really just glorified humans that don't die. And I'm like, no, that's not really what they are. They represent, and, and their interactions with each other kind of, you know, that they can represent human conundrums and things, you know, things that happen like in relationships, like with Zeus and his wife and mm -hmm. things that happen. Um, and, and the sort of absurdities that happen there, like, wait, he, 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 he raped somebody, but now you're going to punish her. Like what, how does that work? Yeah. You know? But how do you explain Athena, like being born from his head? Like that has no correlate in human experience that, you know, no, it except, doesn't, <clears throat> you know, unless it means something else, unless it's like symbolic for something deeper. Well, exactly. Different. And people have different interpretations of that. I heard an interpretation last year at the classical association where they, they kind of, you know, believe that this is the way that, um, uh, Athena becomes a goddess who is entirely masculine. You know what I mean? Like she's not, she's not connected to the feminine. She was not born of a mother. Although some say her mother is the goddess Metis who was swallowed by Zeus and the goddess of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Gebser makes the connection between the birth of Athena and the emergence of what he calls the mental structure of consciousness out of the previous mythological structure, because it's coming out of the head. Uh, and yes. And it's it's like a headache, <laughs> too. It it's like it's right. like the the biggest migraine you've ever had. Uh. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's it. You know, and and yeah, and and face. And apparently, the way migraines were cured among the gods was that they asked Hephaestus to take a hammer and smash him through the head, which is how she came out. Um, yeah, it's. Um, and again, that's like there's there's different uh, sort of weird stories, but but that in a way makes Athena kind of a kind of a bridge figure between. Um, uh, the masculine and the feminine in a way. Because really for the warriors, for the warriors in the Iliad and um, Athena, and actually, you know, all of them, yeah, I think of Odysseus and I think of Ajax and the different ones, she represents their feminine, if you will, the warrior's oh. feminine. And, and you see that when you read the different plays of Sophocles and the different, you know, um, the things that happen to these, um, these heroes all are dependent on their relationship to Athena. They, you know, Ajax ends up committing suicide because he rejected Athena's help on the battlefield. He, she says to him, uh, he says, oh, go away, woman, help those other people. I don't need your help. And she got back at him, all right. And he um, hallucinated. He, you know, he, he, was, he felt insulted because Odysseus won um, Achilles' armor uh, in, this, uh, in the funeral games. And then he says, uh, so he's, then he's going to kill all the Greek soldiers, but she makes, she blinds him and he ends up killing all these animals instead. And when he realizes what he's done and that the Greeks now know what his plot was, he commits suicide, okay? He does that rather than face up to it. So in other words, it's like he's, he's so disconnected himself from the feminine, which in that sense would have to do with strategizing, with thinking, you know, with, um, you know, using more tact and diplomacy and things rather than approaching it directly with force. Hmm. Um, you know, he is destroyed. Whereas Odysseus, he ends up getting home okay through all of his trials because he listens to everything Athena says. Mm -hmm. uh, Diomedes, he's, uh, you know, he knows when he hears the voice of the gods tell him, all right, stop what you're doing. He's like, oh, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing. And guess what? Diomedes goes off and becomes successful and founds his own cities and becomes a god. And, you know, it's all these things. It's all dependent on that relationship to Athena in particular. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah Athena. She, she must have some kind of modern uh, archetypal equivalent. She's like 
the super cool girlfriend or something who like just handles everything, <laughs> takes depends care on the guy, of shit. You know, <laughs> yeah, the super. It depends on the guy. Not all guys want a Vita, but you know, <laughs> it, it's um, it's funny. It, it yeah, and I think archetypically see but that, what's interesting is that the the female goddesses even the ones who are not chthonic by nature like athena or like artemis um they have they have a very dark side to them too i mean they 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 can be very very dark uh, artemis for example she's a virgin goddess she's goddess of the hunt right uh and of childbirth but she's also the goddess of violent death and children and she's also the one who slaughters virgins before they get married and you know there's a whole there's going to be an episode on that, but it's just, there's a whole um, sort of tradition about um, Artemis and her anger at people who give up their virginity. It's like, it's like, she's the test you have to get through to become a woman. You know, you got to, you, you got to sneak past Artemis because she's not going to like the fact that you, um, you know, that you've decided to, you know, get married and have a family or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, they're complicated. They're really complicated. And I think what we do in the modern world is we tend to kind of view the feminine, um, well, in religion, we don't view it at all. I mean, if you want to talk about mainstream religion, you have like the Virgin Mary and Catholicism, okay? Um, but generally speaking, in Western religion, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, um, you know, you have these kind of outlying feminine figures and folklore, or like the Shekinah in, in Jewish religion, who's not technically any kind of a goddess. It's just a feminine name for the presence of God in the world. Uh, you have things like that, but you don't really have a real feminine presence and uh, as such other than that and um so uh, you know and if you're protestant you don't you don't really even have the virgin mary either because that's kind of put away so that that lack of that um you you don't you tend to the, the female tends to be seen um monolithically i guess you want to say i mean the, the female becomes the good the, there's the good female who is chaste and obedient and who surrenders and, and yields to her husband and, and is a mother and does this. I mean, it, it, you know, even though we may look at that socially now and say, well, that's kind of silly to confine women to those kinds of roles. Mm -hmm. It's still there to some degree, still the way in which, for example, um, virginity is so highly valued in mm -hmm. people who are not married. Mm -hmm. Like, is that used to be the way that you, you know, you got a better bride price if you were a virgin, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it kind of goes back to that. You know, it's kind of like, it's worth looking at where that, where that comes from and saying, is this really a modern attitude that serves us knowing what we know or, or, or being as we are in the 21st century? We're not, we're not following that same model that the ancient Greeks. We're not a tribe trying to increase their family. I mean, it's not that people aren't trying to do that, but that isn't necessarily what everybody's trying to do in the society. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Like yeah, I'm not chosen, and, and, I've chosen to have no children. Okay. Right. Um, but my, my creativity comes out in my other work. That's right. So. Yeah. Um, geez. Uh, I've probably taken you way off track. No, 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 no. Because you went in a certain direction, but it, it was, uh, um, all right. The, the, there's also, I mean, one is like the, the well-behaved, the good girl. Yes. kind of archetype mm -hmm. uh but then there's there's also the and this i think is associated even with like a a, a wave of feminism like is it first wave or second wave i i don't know but um where freedom or feminine expression is more equated with masculine freedom so to be able to like stuff like equal pay and mm -hmm. a, a, fem a female president like all those things are still within the say patriarchal or the modern framework so yeah. 
part of, I think what, like maybe this is about too, is like, where is their feminine identity that like is authentic uh, and is also is, is outside of like the categories that, you know, are already available, you know, but maybe were previously available through, you know, these other stories that have been left out of the canon or suppressed or, um, you know, are discounted, demoted into kind of secondary status from the perspective of, you know, techno scientific, uh, you know, rationality. Sure. Uh, and, you know, that is very concrete. That's not just like in people's heads. It also comes out in terms of things like funding for departments in a university, for example, or, um, you know, just uh, like, you know, it does come out in people's pay. <laughs> I'm sure that 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 as well. That's so, right. yeah. So, um, is, I mean, would you would you describe that as part of I mean, that to me, it seems like part of what you're doing? To, yeah, uh, and, and that's and that's. I, mean, that's I have two daughters too. I have to say, so like this is. I'm kind of in the middle of this and <laughs> sort of figuring it all out this too. Is the middle of all I, I didn't have a lot of education in these areas, and oh, no, I didn't yeah. even learn like that much mythology. Like I should have learned a lot more mythology than than I did. I think uh, it, it but, all depends. I mean, for me, I had an interest in it just even outside of school, but um, but that's I don't want to go off on that tangent. But you know, but you know what I'm saying. It, mm. it, yeah, it's not always something that's really well covered in school. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting point too. Is about yeah, what does that's that that's a that's a very good question. What what is feminine identity? What is that? You know, um, in terms of um, social role, or are those categories at this point? I don't know. I I don't think the old categories can stand, and I think, but I don't know how easy it's going to be to formulate a new one, because because um, because the problem is that. Um, when we start talking about equal rights, equal pay, things like that, all of those things are important. But the way I look at it, I kind of try to look at it both ways. In fact, the novel Maeve looks at this to some degree um, in, uh, in some of the other writings. Like I have some short stories like this too, mm. where it becomes, um, you know, when, when you start talking about like, well, a man can do this, I can do it too. It's like you're saying you can be as good as a man. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Where's the reverse? Like, okay, I like to, I call, I'll call it the job interview test. And maybe I did mention this in the intro, I don't remember. Um, it, it's sort of like, okay, if I go to a job interview and I'm wearing a suit, okay, like a suit with trousers and, you know, um, that's, nobody's gonna look at me like that's weird. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, you're a woman, you should be wearing a dress, okay? Um, necessarily, you know what I mean? It's not something that's gonna keep me from getting the job. If a guy goes in and he's wearing, I don't care how nice it is. It could be from Talbot's, you know, if you're wearing a nice dress with pearls, he ain't getting that job because he's lowering <laughs> yeah. himself. Right. You know what othering, I mean? Yeah, othering himself. And uh, I mean, maybe yeah. the concept of identity itself is more of a masculinist kind of concept, you know, because you want something to stay what it is so that you can capture it and do something yeah. with it. Uh, and like if you, all these, all these mythological figures, they're, they have multiple identities. They actually. do. Yes. You know, like they're the God of this and the God of that. And they're very unrelated things. Like, um, but they mash up in this one being and that being transmutes, you know, from culture to culture and time to time. Uh, so. And they're not ethical. In other words, they can be, they can do good things and they can also do bad things. You know, I mean, in our, in our modern categories, you know what I mean? They're, they're not. It's not like they're limited to, well, you know, you're this kind of a god, so you only have these kinds of qualities. They have all different kinds of qualities. But there are, like, there are, there is one set of gods or beings, and you cover them, the Furies, 
mm-hmm. who seem to operate with some sense of ethical kind of uh, principle, right? Because they are, the furies are what come after you if you defy the laws of nature, right? Yeah. And yes. so- and that's, that's something even the gods are not allowed to transcend, that's Heraclitus. Right, so I mean, that's kind of interesting because that suggests a kind of cosmic principle, like a cosmic order. order that cannot be breached, you know, without incurring this, you know, this this force which is even greater than the gods, right? It's it's sort of transcended to them. So, uh, I found that episode interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I, I will, you know, I hope people will go listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is, because yeah, because they're the fu- the Furies or the Erinyes, but they're also the Semnithei. They're also the good goddesses who you appease for fertility and for, you know, you know what I mean? It's, um, and, they, and they seem, and they're very family centered because you have to remember too, ancient Greece was all household centered. It's the oikos. That's the center of civilization. Once you start having city states, you have people coming from other places. It's diverse. Okay. And once you have diversity, it's more about the individual and less about just the family unit or the tribe. Okay. Mm. So, and it's interesting because it almost seems like the woman's role as such is more valued, I guess. I mean, if you want to think of the woman as the one who extends the family, okay, mm. um, in the oikos than it is in the other. It, mm. it seems like that, you know, the more, again, the more individualistic it becomes, not that individualism is bad in any way, or that diversity is bad in any way, but it, it's an interesting how that dynamic tends to shift things around. Mm-hmm. But the Uranus are very much about, yeah, they're about what goes on between mother and son, between, you know, they don't care about what goes on with your husband. They just want to know, you know, mother and son and, uh, you know, the in- intrafamilial. Hmm. I'm just going to throw out a theory. I'm just shooting from the hip. Um, so I kind of see human history as like a history of trauma. It's like one trauma after another, which instigates these efforts to correct against that like to make yourself protected against future traumas and so you get this kind of long arms race like which begins with city walls like that's maybe the first concrete manifestation of this right your defenses to castles to empires to uh, intercontinental ballistic miss- missile systems right right and mo most of that process, like that starts out at first as being a very biologically kind of uh, asymmetrical process, right? Where uh, having the more male strength is at first a benefit, right? Mm-hmm. But it, that, the benefit of that actually um, tapers off the more that you have technology because technology is a kind of even balancer. Like it, it, it compensates for physical strength. And so a mind can, whether a mat in a male body or a female body, can um, exercise power uh, equally or potentially equally, uh, you know, with individual and various other differences uh, because of what technology allows. So once like there's a full transition from a biologically based society to a technologically based society, then I think all of those qualities that are associated with the feminine which are dis um devalued in a mm-hmm. in a kind of perpetual war scenario like where right. you're all constantly escalating constantly forming defenses constantly trying to anticipate you know and this is like happening in these city states first but then it metastasizes into the roman empire mm-hmm. and then in various other empires mongols and ottomans and you know so on and so forth into the modern nation states 
and you know and then and then the kind of various modern and postmodern forms of like economic empire and you know whatever we're, we're we're in right now like we're in this kind of metastatic process of um a, a very masculine driven kind of protective instinct you know that is on the one hand um interacting with the other like we're we're more and more enmeshed with each other on a planetary scale than we've ever been uh but on the but because we're interacting and exposed more you know and because we've built up so much technological you know lethality like ability to inflict destruction um you know we've had to like become hyper masculine in that sense and but i think that that tapers off and then that kind of creates an opening for all these what would be regarded feminine energies to start coming forth right they mm -hmm. start i think the internet is like a place where there's a lot of chthonic although like it's counterintuitively because chthonic is earth right mm -hmm. and the internet is virtual nonetheless there is like a, a chthonic energy that is expressed in the world of technology that's right mm -hmm. uh and I, and I even see like this sort of battle there between the forces that want to like centralize and monopolize and kind of like actually predict and control the whole thing mm -hmm. versus those that want it to be open, want to kind of ex ex explode it out and make it a more creative place. Um, like, you know, it's like we can, you know, in, in a way like the, the, our mythological past prefigures like a virtual future, like where we're birthing all these different avatars of ourselves that express all kinds of different energies and all kinds of different qualities. And like, I feel like Thonia is like, like a, a kind of growth in that of that, like it's that energy finding mm -hmm. expression. Um, but the problem is we can't just have the virtual. We also have to have a relationship with, with the real earth because if yeah. that goes, then we're just going to be kind of- And we're kind that. of in trouble, yeah. Yeah, we're in trouble. <laughs> Um, and, and there's a way in which like we're we've kind of invited the furies or you know and the terms of mythological language are appropriate now like i don't think like how do you put like scientific language on uh you know a, a global meltdown like you know like th there's we have names and labels for it but it doesn't actually describe like the experience of it of yeah. of catastrophe or of um, mass dislocations and like empires collapsing like all these things that people have experienced in history well uh, it doesn't really look at it as a system i mean the thing about science is it likes to take everything apart and um and it likes to dissect i mean we do that actually in in criticism too i mean you have postmodernism, and you have these ideas of where we we sort of um take apart and deconstruct and we learn to look at things in the pieces rather than as the whole and um and yeah and it's interesting the idea of um of trauma uh, I, I would call that, I think that would relate to my idea about, you know, we're afraid of unpredictability or what's unknown. Trauma is that, um, oh my God, this bad thing happened, it could happen again. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's that, yeah. that trauma. And it's the overreaction to the bad thing too. Yes. And, and, and then the overreaction to the overreaction. And that's like the escalating process, I think, that, that we've been in basically for the last, you know, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000 years or so. Um, and, well, and then the question becomes, at what point do we say, you know what, um, we can't predict anything. Um, I, I read somewhere once, it might have been in, in the Book of Runes, but it was interesting um, where they said, um, relinquishing control is the ultimate um, 
you know, the ultimate test or goal of, of the warrior is whether or not you can relinquish control. Um, I think about practicing karate, for example, when I, when you, one of the things I learned was that um, when it comes to chi and to things like that, is that if you have two people who are pushing really hard against each other, okay, um, both people are just gonna keep doing this. If one person yields, the other person's gonna fall flat on their face. And that's the whole idea. That's where the feminine comes in, that yielding, that letting go. We have to have control over everything. You know, I have to, like you say, I have to build a wall around it. I have to, I have to defend myself. And it's like, defend yourself from what? You know, it's like, you know, trauma may happen in the past. That doesn't mean it has to have to happen in the future. Now we may know this intellectually. I understand we're talking about kind of a social condition and kind mm. of a cultural thing is what you're talking about on a much bigger scale. But yeah, when, when as a society do we learn to just let go and to yield and to try to listen instead of always anticipating that the worst thing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I call fear of death. I mean, that, that fear that, oh my God, the most terrible thing is going to happen. I, I think too, um, we live in a culture where that which we're afraid of is something we have to exterminate, you know? Um, you know, like I watch some of those like paranormal shows and stuff and you know, it's always like, oh, this person played with a tarot deck and now they're possessed by this horrible demon and we have to exercise. It's like, you know, give me a break, people. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's this, we kind of have this idea that anything that, that is dark like that or that has to do with what's hidden or what's under, you know, under the surface there is somehow something to be exterminated. Like it's, it's, it's connected to evil, it's connected to the devil, it's connected to, and it's like, no, that's, the, that's another part of the point. It's like, this isn't about good versus evil, you know? Um, but, but we, but yeah, and, that, and I think because people, if they experience the feminine in themselves in a certain way, they might be afraid of it. Yeah, I think you're probably approaching it a little more intelligently than, than a lot of, than some men do. Um, but by the same token, uh, you know, there's some people who feel like, no, no, that's something that, has to be put away or eradicated, whether it's dismissed as somehow um, something that they're stronger than. I feel like a lot of, for instance, the mass shootings and stuff that go on. Um, if you need to walk around with a gun and kill people to show that you're powerful, well, not you're not you're not rooted in your masculinity or your femininity. A lot of these guys also like want to rape women and you know are you know have these manifestos about how they were rejected or they were this or that, and it's like they they're so afraid of the other that they it's it's your trauma thing. You know, I need to have something to. And it's kind of going, well, you know, what's, what's happened to you that you are so out of that, that you are so disconnected from that. And maybe it's just like, no, maybe you just need to learn, have a healthy respect for it, integrate it into yourself a little bit. And, um, you know, you may actually find that you're a stronger person for it. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. a more complete person, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the shootings over the weekend because uh, they've been like affecting me. You know, every time that happens, it just like, yeah, and three and kind of like gnaws away like from inside and i don't even i don't even like i watched maybe three minutes of video about it i didn't because it's all it's the same every time uh, it's, it's, it's just it's it's sickening and i i just get disgusted every time i see it and I, it's, it's sad it's terrible right but i think it's part of the same pathology uh mm -hmm, it is talking about um i'm also like coming around to a different cosmology myself like and it's almost more platonic um ju just in this sense not like a, not neoplatonic and not in the kind of po like post-christian sense but in the sense that there are realms or there are areas of the universe or the cosmos that just are there uh mm -hmm. and that not everything evolves uh that um uh things change uh but uh like when we talk about like hell realms or demonic realms or demonic beings or 
dark energies, things, things like that. Like those are just aspects of the cosmos in a way. And um, we can't, uh, the, in a way they're all, they're eternal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm like, that's what I'm not still coming around to, like just exactly what that means. Right. Something outside of time. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so you're always going to have to have a relationship with it. Like there's no possible utopia where it's eradicated, like where, um, where. And, and you'd be very unhappy if you didn't have a relationship. Exactly. Because that's what provides like the adventure like through of, of consciousness. Is well, like, yeah, it's not just about, it's not like just about this vision of life is going to be everything that I want. I'm just going to get everything I want. And it's going to be perfect. It's like, you would hate that. You absolutely hate that. You know, it's like, uh, what's that? Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it just the, that whole, um, I remember it was a sermon somebody gave once one of these priests. On the glass, gave. the glass city or, or the glass. Well, I think what it was, was that person dies and, um, they um and they, they're scored into this beautiful palace and you know anything they want it just appears before them and they're so happy they're like oh i've died and gone to heaven this is wonderful and they go on but then after a while if they keep getting things they finally say no no they say i, I don't want you to just give me everything that i want i'd rather go to hell and somebody said oh where do you think you are you know it's kind of like you know people who think that that's that's um that 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 the, the smooth sailing um that's it i mean i suppose what joseph campbell says is kind of true is like you know if you're if you've gone through if you followed all the steps and everything's happened in order he says you're probably living somebody else's life not your own and it's easy for one reality to slip into the other there's a thin film between heaven and hell uh, yeah perhaps. And, or they're just they may not be any different like it was with the ancient greeks it's just one place there's you know it's just a matter of which beach you turn up on i guess all right uh so why don't we wrap it up yeah let's do that sounds good okay good work on the podcast I've, oh thank you no yeah. i was actually i really enjoyed it just mm-hmm. uh, and, and the good news and is I had, I had to cram in listening the la- to like all six episodes because yeah, really. i procrastinated that's part of what stressed me out a little bit oh but okay i but it wasn't I just what I'm talking it, about. It was that compa- exactly it was that compa- com- uh, combined with like five other things so i i brought it on myself uh but it was actually one of the more pleasant things that I've gotten to do over the last few days is just lay back and listen to you talking about goddesses and <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad, yeah. And, and, you know, binge listening, maybe, maybe, maybe useful for people at a time, you know, you never know. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I actually enjoyed binge listening. So uh, binge listening is recommended for sure with this podcast. Um, all right. All right. Till so later. Next week then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.